Amen. Thanks, guys. We are uh, truly blessed. Of course, we're a brand new church, uh, a core group right now, developing and launching this new church. But we are truly blessed with some amazing uh, musician and, and, and just talent. It really amazes me every time. Uh, we have the sound of a mega church, you might say, uh, the, the talent that we've been blessed with musically. So definitely appreciate you, uh, band and singers as well. Well, let's get going. Let's begin tonight and turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We've begun our study on the book of Ephesians. It is a wonderful book, and I have simply titled this series, God and Grace, because grace is just such a heavy topic as you go through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we notice at the very beginning of the book of Ephesians, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, if we glance back, if you have your Bibles open there, and hopefully you brought your Bible tonight, uh, flip back to verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The verse right before that says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And just the beautiful words that are used that oftentimes we skip over. Here Paul is writing this letter to the saints. Who are the saints? Are the saints just a couple of people that the Roman Catholic Church prays to? No, you're looking at the saints right now, believe it or not. People who have been made holy, not by their own doing or their own will, but by the holiness of Jesus Christ himself. When a person is, is a true believer, they receive the holy Holiness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ takes their sin and pays for it on the cross. And that's the only way a person can ever be seen as righteous. But that brings him right into, as it should us, that this is this is by grace. That we don't earn this. We don't deserve this. And we'll get more into this tonight. In fact, we have earned and we deserve the opposite of being a saint in the eyes of God. That we are naturally sinners. And that's what Paul is getting here too. But he's saying that they are saints by the grace of God. They have done nothing to deserve it. Grace uh, is oftentimes, I remember when I was a kid. We have a lot of children here tonight that I thought that was maybe what you did, you know, before you ate lunch, all right? But grace uh, is more than just saying grace before you eat. Getting the definition right is extremely important. It means unmerited favor from God. And wrap your mind around that. As we begin to study grace, I'll, I'll say that definition almost every single week. But grace, unmerited favor of God. Uh, we don't work for it. We don't earn it. We don't do anything to deserve it. It is unmerited. You do not merit it. You don't do a certain amount of work. And then God says, yes, now you deserve grace. It's the opposite of that. And if you ever think you're getting closer, like the Pharisees were, to deserving God's grace, you're actually getting further away. Because that is pride. And they thought they were getting closer to God. They were bettering themselves. They were inching forward. But that was not to God's glory. That was to themselves. They were going to get the glory for that kind of salvation. And that salvation does not exist. So it is purely by grace that those in Ephesus are saved. It's purely by grace that we are saved as well. Uh, he, he begins this letter. He drops some very big words here in verse, uh, very big concepts, I might say. In uh, chapter 1, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And again here, we as we get your mind around this, keep grace in mind as you read through the book of Ephesians. Because what he is doing is he is removing any shadow of a doubt 
that we have done anything at all, not the least iota, to contribute to our salvation. In fact, he says it was steeped in Christ, in the mind of God, before we were even born. Not only before we were born, he says, but before the earth was even made. Like our salvation is fully in God. It is by grace that we have been saved, and we did nothing. And not in our life. He goes even before that. He says, it was before the foundation of the world was even made that I've chosen you for salvation. So this is a big deal. Keep in mind, grace, grace, grace. He is removing anything from them. They've contributed nothing to their salvation. It is purely the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, our belief in him that saves us. So God is getting the glory through all of this. The title of the first message, uh, we have them online, by the way, was simply Sola de Gloria, that God gets all the glory for our salvation. We do not get any for it at all. Uh, The message right after that, if we look over to the second part of Ephesians chapter 1, we also just looked at how he was thanking God. Over in verse 15, he was thanking God for the Ephesians because they were loving God and they were loving others. And this is truly what we should be doing as well. The two greatest commandments, as Jesus emphasizes in the Bible, are to love God and to love others. And this should be our emphasis as well. If you want to know if you're serving God, look at those two points. And here, he accredits the Ephesians for doing that. They are loving God. This is the first commandment. This is the greatest commandment. Jesus said, this is what we should do. This is why we were created. What else are you going to do with your life? Uh, Work, and that's the whole purpose of your life. Uh, Collect things, you know, whether it's little baseball cards or, or houses or cars or get more money. Just collect money. What is the purpose in your life? The purpose in your life is to love God. And from that, you should be loving others as well. We also went on down through that passage last week to see where it said, uh, know who you are. Know who you are and know that you have received the riches of God. And that last week's message was titled that, Know Who You Are. And as we begin to realize who we are in Christ, that we have this unity as we talked about last week, that we are together with him. That Christ has ascended into heaven. And as Hebrews said, as we studied that a while back, that he is the anchor to our soul. We are tethered to him. He died. He rose from the dead. He paid for our sins. He ascended into heaven. And we will be there as well. So it is knowing who you are and grasping the magnitude of this salvation that it's purely of God. I've done nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it, and yet I have been made a saint in the eyes of God, even though I have sinned, even though I am born a sinner. So as we get our mind around grace, and we'll do so more and more, you'll be, you'll be more appreciative. I know I am every time I do a study like this. As I realize who I am, I realize who God is, and I realize what I deserve as a sinner, and yet what I get through the grace of Jesus Christ it immediately causes me to want to praise God even more. To God be the glory. Well, let's get going uh, with tonight's message. Can't review all day long, but often I do. Uh, let's begin in Ephesians chapter 2. I'll just read verses 1 through 10, and then we'll look at these in a little bit more in depth. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in him, so that in the coming ages, he might show the measurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, thank you for the time together tonight to study your word and help us to do that. May our ears be open. May our eyes be open to truly see your word for what it is. And may our minds be expanded to grasp in a better way what this grace is that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, if we go back to verse 1. And you were dead in the trespass and sins. In the trespasses and sins. Verse 1. Verse 1 says a whole lot. For years and years, for centuries and centuries, throughout church history, there has been much debate on this this aspect of the spiritual nature of humankind. Are we one, well spiritually, and uh, don't need anything else? Are we two, uh, are we sick spiritually? Or the third option is, are we dead spiritually? And believe it or not, it is hard to imagine as you look at this, as we look at the first chapter of Ephesians, as we get into Ephesians chapter 2, how there could be a debate. If we look at verse 1 of chapter 2, we find out that we are not well, uh, we are not sick, but in fact we are, what do you see there? It is dead. We are absolutely spiritually dead. One of my favorite teachers that I like to listen to and podcast and read as well. We have a couple of his books available uh, back by the coffee. Is Dr. Steve Lawson. He says, if a person, you can tell a lot about a person and how they understand God's grace by how they view Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. A lot of people that I speak to, perhaps you do as well. I know even at one time in my life, I would think this way as well. But that, that we're not truly spiritually dead, but that we can do something, right? I mean, we can write our position a little bit. It's kind of a combination of us and God that get this salvation thing going. But, but verse 1, he pulls any kind of energy that we could contribute to our salvation out of it. Out of the picture totally. He says, not only did you not contribute a little but you were like completely spiritually dead. How far can a dead man move is the question that he is posing here. Not just a little, not just a couple, not at all, right? So a lot of people would say something like this. I've heard this in the years past that, you know, God offers salvation. It's like a person drowning in the ocean. He throws a life preserver nearby he has done almost all the work for you the life preserver is really close and all you have to do spiritually is just lean over and grab hold of it and then god saves you is that what is being portrayed here in chapter 2 verse 1 and you were dead in the trespasses and sin 
No, absolutely not. Again, how far does a dead man move? A dead man cannot move his arm to grasp hold of this life preserver, right? So we can do nothing to contribute to this, but that we are bound. We are sinners because Adam sinned, and we are born with this original sin within us. We are bound to it. We are spiritually dead, and we cannot free ourselves. We are in bondage to this sin. And this sin has corrupted us spiritually. It has put us uh, apart from God. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And that we cannot get close and eventually fix ourselves, but that we are absolutely, totally, and completely spiritually dead. And we have to be very careful as we study God's grace, and, and I, I truly believe that the, getting your mind around the grace of God takes a long time. And it, it really takes uh, in-depth study of God's Word as well. Uh, one of my, my, my heroes in the faith, a lady that lived for God, loved for God always, but if you ask her about her salvation, she will unintentionally, and oftentimes we do this, attribute something to herself right away. And oftentimes we do this, including myself, and I've done these things in the past, perhaps you do as well, but does God get all the glory for your salvation when you share your testimony even? Um, for instance, this individual I'm talking about, would, if you were asked how she was saved or when she was saved, she would say something to the effect of, when I was 10 years old, I decided to uh, tell Jesus to come into my heart. All right, take that sentence. Is that uh, indicative of this verse? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Who was getting the credit in that type of statement, if you see what I'm saying? So unintentionally or intentionally, oftentimes, even great Christian people who I'm thinking of personally, a dear uh, woman to my heart, we often do this. But instead, as we begin to study God's grace, we, be, we begin to be more careful even and understand that, wow, I, what did I do? What was my role? What was my part? How much did I contribute? Did, what, did I put my arm around the life preserver? Did I, did I move just a little? And we go back to this point. How far can a dead man move? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Trespass. When you, when you cross a line, you should not pass. I'm from Arkansas. We have purple trees all around our woods. And that means you cannot trespass. You cannot go past these purple marked trees as you're going down the road and uh, good old redneck hunter guy says those are some good looking woods over there I think I might want to go hunt there uh, you drive down the road and if they're marked purple that means no trespass you cannot go in but we have gone in where we should not have gone with God we have crossed that line we have disobeyed we have sinned against him so we are dead in those sins what do we do uh, does, does God put the cure next to us and step back and say, there you go. You just have to reach a little further and grab hold of that medicine bottle, of that cure. Is that the way it works? No, it says we're spiritually dead. So what are we relying on for salvation then if we can't do grace? We're relying on God fully. Sola Deo Gloria. It is 100% the work of God. And this passage, as he starts off in the book of Hebrews, giving God, I mean, sorry, the book of Ephesians, all of the glory for our salvation, if the point was not clear enough, in chapter 1, chapter 2 is just going to explode it. In fact, this chapter 2, verse 1, is often known uh, as a passage that is called the pride crusher. The pride killer. Because if you truly grasp chapter 2, verse 1, there is no way you're going to credit anything that you have done in and of yourself 
for your salvation. It blows it up. And instead, you're left with only praising God. It's like, like the, the Pharisee that came to pray at the temple. And the tax collector, we find in the book of Luke, the story just comes to mind, but the, the Pharisee would come and he was speaking, you know, as he looked up to heaven and arms open and saying, God, thank you that I'm not like them. Thank you that I'm not like this one. And thank you that I'm not like this. And he's put all these rules in place that he is following, thinking that he's getting closer to God. But then the tax collector comes who is a sinner and he throws himself down. He can't even look up and says, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, that's the prayer that God hears. We come with absolutely nothing. We are sinners. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is exactly that. Our sin, as the man in Luke did. All right, let's continue on here. Verse 2. Uh, and, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, it is important. Oftentimes, we as believers, veteran believers, people who have possibly been saved for quite some time, you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, and you've been saved for some times that we become a little bit impatient with those who are not believers. But when you understand salvation, when you understand God's grace, when you understand it is not just human reasoning, person standing there just going, hmm, okay, now I decided I'm going to be saved right now. But it's more than that. It's more than just natural logic. You can't arrive at that without a supernatural draw from God. And that our salvation is a supernatural act of God. It causes you to have more patience with people as verse 2, in which you once walked. So we were, he's talking to the Ephesians here, they're now saved, but he says, you were like them. So understand that as, as we are at work and as we are around and doing life with others, understand that they are like that. We once were like that by the grace of God that we have been saved. What is our role now in a dark world to get the gospel out? Romans 1.16 says the power of God for salvation is the gospel for all who believe. And that's what God has commanded us to do. He works salvation through the gospel. We are the messengers of that. We proclaim the gospel. God supernaturally regenerates, causes them to be born again. And that's what God does. But we have to understand that we once were like that. We're around people that are once like that. And now we pray for those and we deliver the gospel to them also. Uh, the same passage here in chapter 2, verse 2 says, uh, following the course of this world, that we were once like them, following the course of this world. It's very important to understand that this world has a course. That when sin came in, when Adam sinned, sin corrupted everything. That, that Satan is active in this world. This world is full of unbelievers. That our flesh, our natural selves, uh, desires to sin. Now that you have been saved, there is a fight. Whereas used to, there was not a fight. But now you fight against your sinful flesh. But this world is built in such a way to draw you into sin. This world is all about self-satisfaction, not giving satisfaction and glory to God. It's about bringing glory to yourself. How big can things get? How much can I do with my life? How many people uh, will like me? How popular can I get? How much money can I get in my account? These are things that the world says, this is the way to go. Be happy, be happy. Do what you want to do. Don't let anyone else tell you what to do. Be autonomous. But yet, 
that is the course of this world. And here it says, do not follow the course of this world. You once did, but what happened? Now you have been saved. Now you have been raised with Christ. Now you should be beginning to understand that you're not living for this world. You're not living for this life. You're not living just to be a citizen of Texas, a citizen of the United States, but you're living for the glory of God. So go against this flow. I picture uh, one time, I remember Grant, I was near the Grand Canyon. I was in the Colorado River and, and we were kayaking down this thing. And, and the river was so intense. The moment we got in, we were gone. It felt like we were going 50 miles an hour, class five rapids. I'd never been anything like this before. And all of us were just getting thrown out of the kayaks, but we kept on going. A big, a big rescue boat had to come down and eventually pick us up, but there was no way to go back. We could not could go back at all because it was taking us down. And that is the course of this world. But yet we as believers are called to go against that course. And it is hard. It is difficult. Everyone at your school says that words that you're not supposed to do, say. Everyone else is texting things they're not supposed to text. Everyone else is acting in a way that, that we are called not to. But oftentimes we think, well, everyone else is doing it. And if we ever think that, well, everyone else is doing it, we should immediately realize we're following the course of this world because we're not supposed to do what everyone else is doing. We are called to rise up to go against. Romans 12, 2, one of my favorite passages says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This not being conformed, but be transformed. Become something different. Don't be afraid. That don't go with this flow. Turn it around. Become something different because you are something different. You have a whole different mindset if you're a believer. If you've been saved by God's grace, your sins have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, his life, his death on the cross. You're living for him. Transform. That should change. That should bring about immense change that you should live differently. You should act differently. Your, your marriage should be different as you father, as you parent, whatever it is you do in life. Everything should be different because you have been transformed. Verse 2. Um, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, just very quickly, whose son are you? Uh, the Bible is very clear that it is either Satan or it is either God. That you either follow Satan or you either follow God. And naturally, we are born following Satan. Why? Because we have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God, and we desire that. We want to continue to sin, that we must be born again. Not just the first birth, but we must be born again spiritually, from death to life by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, through faith in Him. So whose child are you? Uh, John chapter 8, I didn't have this one up there, but you can certainly uh, write it down. Verse 42 through 44 says this, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And this is the natural state of mankind. Natural mankind, spiritually dead, follows Satan. Why? Because they desire to. 
That is their desire. That was once our desire. If you've been saved, uh, that is no longer your desire. You fight that desire. It is still in you somewhat. I understand that we battle our flesh, but now we battle it and we can fight against it. Uh, so we are, which whose child are you? There is no in between. There are uh, Satan worshipers. We would say, oh, yes, yes, yes. Those are, those are the children of Satan for sure if they're following Satan. Yet, it could be people that come to church every Sunday. How could that be? Right. Well, it, it could be people in your neighborhood that, that have a regular 9 to 5 job and, and make around $100,000 a year and have two cars and 2.2 children as well and look very nice. And you meet them at the mailbox and see them out there every day. And they could be a child of Satan. Satan could be their father. Yes, absolutely. In fact, that it, people that we don't think are absolutely are because they're not going to walk around in a red suit like we think of Satan as sometimes does. He doesn't do that and neither do his followers. Instead, they just follow the course of this world. And it's very natural. It's a very natural thing just to follow the course of this world and to live for now and to avoid anything spiritual like this. They're spiritually dead. So verse 3, let's keep going. Among whom we once also lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. Again, Paul is saying here, don't get prideful at all. Don't think that you're better than them. And we never need to think this about those who are not saved, who are not believers, because we were once just like them. We lived as they do now for the passions of the flesh. Whatever we want to do, our sinful nature, then we should do it. No one should tell us we can't do it. If I think it's right, then I should go do it. That's the passions of the flesh, the passions of the mind and body. That's how we used to live. We wanted to do something, we did that. Nothing should get in our way. And this is the way the world operates even now. If, if, if you want to do something, then who am I to tell you not to do it? Who is God to tell you not to do it, right? That's what they would think. That's what we used to think. So this is, but now these things have changed. We once lived like that. Now let me just take a, on a side note here, a sidebar, to say that, He is bragging on them earlier in chapter 1. He says, you once were like that. This should mean that there is a change, an obvious change that has taken place. And for a person who has been saved, who simply says, yes, I was saved at X years old, and then their life never bears any fruit. There is never any change after that. There is no evidence at all of a transformed life This would make me speculate that perhaps this person is not a real believer. But it should be obvious, it should be apparent that if a person has been saved, as here in Ephesians, as he's talked to these people who are believers, they once walked that way, but now they walk in a different way. Now they are being transformed, not conformed. Now they're not following the course of this world, they're going a different way. All right, let's carry on. Uh, Let me skip on down to... Verse 4, Chris, uh, let me go to, let me finish with verse 3 here. Among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All right. What was their natural position before God, before they were saved by grace, through faith, because of Jesus Christ? They were children of wrath. Uh, this is this is huge, and this is right up there with with the opening of chapter two, verse one. 
You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were by nature children of wrath. What does that mean? That just being, just your very nature, just being born and just, just my nature as, yes, that's what is being spoken about here. Why is that? Because we are born sinners and we sin actively against God. So we were by nature children of his wrath. This is huge. When you think of God's wrath and you think about who he is, that he is holy, that he is perfectly righteous, that he is perfectly just, that he spoke and created the universe. He spoke and created everything that is, is in him we live and breathe and have our being. That he made everything, the universe, the billions of stars, all the systems that are in place that hold everything together. And that we were objects of his wrath. And if things would have continued as they were, that we would have been the beneficiary of his full wrath against sin for eternity in hell. But yet, by His grace, we've been rescued out of that. We have been saved from that. We were by nature. This is the automatic position of humankind. Okay, We were by nature children of wrath, wrath, like the rest of mankind. But now things have changed. But God, that is big, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, wow, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is a beautiful passage. And again, as we get our mind around this, that our salvation is based purely. Again, verse 4 doesn't say you were an object of God's wrath, but then you did fill in the blank, whatever that might be in your mind or what others might say. Whatever you did, that changed everything. Whenever you did this, you did that, you made God do this. No, it says in verse 4, you were dead. You were, you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But then what happens? Verse 4, who is the active agent here of what this action that is being that is taking place in verse four, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Again, how far can a dead man move? Not at all. We cannot contribute anything. Our salvation is purely in God, and is by grace, is by mercy. We deserve one thing, but Christ has given us something totally different. And God initiates this salvation in us. He preserves this salvation for us and brings us all the way to glorification in the final process, in the final phase of our salvation. Um, Verse, let me continue down here. Made us alive together with Christ. This is, of course, the opposite of verse 1 of chapter 2. That we were spiritually dead. We could not move. And yet God, rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. And we think of Jesus Christ being, of course, dead, physically dead, but yet he was made alive by God. He was raised from the dead. We think of Lazarus uh, sitting, rotting in a tomb, right? He'd been dead for so many days. They said, no, don't move the rock away because he stinks. He smells. He's been there a long time. He is dead. But Jesus stands and says, Lazarus, come forth. And how much effort 
did Lazarus put forth to this? What did he do? What did he contribute at all? He was doing nothing except rotting in the cave. And yet God spoke and the corpse comes to life. And so spiritually it is as well that for a person who is a true believer, who is truly of Christ, that God has put life into you in a supernatural way to bring about this salvation. Perhaps you, you wake up one day and you, or you hear the gospel being proclaimed and you realize that you are a sinner. You feel that, that you, you understand that you've gone against God. And this is something that is not revealed in the natural man. God is doing that work. It's by grace that you can even see your sin. And all of a sudden you begin to realize I'm a sinner. God is holy and I need rescued. I need saved. And, and the salvation is presented. That is only through Jesus Christ. God's Savior that you can be rescued. God's Savior that you can have your sins paid for, that you can be made right in the eyes of God. And all that is done in a supernatural way. Does God use your mind? Yes, absolutely. Does He use what you are thinking? Yes, absolutely. But God initiates this process even within you. Uh, So let's carry on here. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages He might show them measurable riches. I'm sorry. Let me go back to... uh, I got ahead of myself. Made us alive together with Christ. Uh, carry on by grace you have been saved verse 6 and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus let me read that through one more time since I did get it a little bit messed up there made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus Jesus. This is beautiful. As we look at verse 5, as we look at verse 6, we realize that it is purely by grace, again, unmerited favor, that we have been saved. God is getting all the glory for it. But this salvation is so big that He has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this grace is so huge that we were dead spiritually, we were sinners. We were by nature objects of God's wrath, but God, over here in verse 4, gives us mercy. Now he has made us spiritually alive. And again, we were dead spiritually. We did nothing to deserve this, earn this. We didn't reach for him, and then he pulled us up. He makes us alive purely by his grace. And now we are seen as saints. Now we are seen as righteous. And now, we not, not only this, but we are raised up. He says, yes, you are children of God. You are in Christ. Your union with him is so tight that you are raised with him in the heavenly places. As Christ ascended all the way to the highest position there is, so you are also with him. This is huge. We have not only had our sins forgiven, but we've been made righteous before God and that we can trust that our salvation is held by God. Our sins are forgiven by God. Jesus Christ has done it all. And then we can rest that we will be with him as well. Uh, Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Wow. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. To God be the glory alone. Uh, Very quickly, three views of salvation. 
that span throughout human, humankind and human history. Uh, some right, of course, some wrong. Uh, but number one is we save ourselves. Uh, this was a view that was popular many times, is a view that is very popular right now as well, hopefully with no one in the room, but that who needs church, who needs uh, organized religion, I can save myself, I can clean myself up right, I, if I'm messed up real bad, I can go to the 10-step program, and then I'll be fixed up, then I'll be ready, and I can do all this myself. I don't need Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. I can do this myself, all right? Very popular, very common. This is the natural view of man. Who needs God? I can fix myself up if I need to be fixed up. I can do this myself. Also, this, this was a, a time in church history where this was a movement as well that tried to grasp hold of the church that, hey, Jesus was a good example, but he did not die for your sins. It's up to you to live right, and then you earn your own salvation as well. It was viewed heretical, but yet it, it clung on to many who said they were Christians. Uh, number two, we do some of the saving, but God is still needed also. This is extremely common and by far the most common view amongst people who proclaim to be Christians today. That we do some of it, God does some of it, and it's this teamwork, this high five, look what we did, we saved me. Good job, Jesus, and Jesus says, good job, you, and together you've done this work for salvation, all right? The third view, which I believe is the most correct view, and as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, if you're struggling with this at all, try to look back at these views and read Ephesians 1, read Ephesians 2, and see if you arrive at anything except for this, Christ does all of the saving. Look back at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. All right, maybe, maybe I did that. All right, maybe, maybe I had, I mustered this up. I did this myself. You might think right away, but Paul immediately rejects that. He says, and this is not your own doing. The very thing that we think we can take credit for, perhaps, he yanks it right out from under us. He says, no, 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 no. It's pure grace. It is not you. And that's what he says in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, we get absolutely none of the glory. Uh, I've heard this many times. Perhaps you've heard this as well. It kind of goes back to the life preserver analogy we opened up with. But someone might say, well, God uh, did 99% of it, but I did that 1% of it. Is that truly being humble? Is that truly a way to look at salvation biblically? As you read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, you see n no room for even the 1%. Not even the point zero zero zero. 1%. If you look at it, how can you squeeze in 1% into this? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So no works, not even 1%, so that no one may boast. The person who says, I did the 1% is still holding on to a little bit of the boast. Now, I fully understand that you can be saved and not fully comprehend all of God's grace. And I'm not questioning yours, salvation, or, or someone I might know, as I know a lot of people who would be believe they've done a little something. But I do believe as you mature in Christ, the percentage you think you did gets smaller and smaller and smaller until before long you wrap your mind around Ephesians 1 and 2 and realize, wow, God, by grace, 
I have been saved. I, I did not. I was spiritually dead. I was. I, I deserved your wrath. I, I contributed. I did what one percent of work. Not none of it. I owe it all to you, and that, my friend, is grace. That God gets all the glory for our salvation. Do we get any credit? No. Ephesians is saying God gets all the glory. He gets all the credit for our salvation. Salvation is not a reward. It is based on pure grace, not merit, right? If our salvation was not based on grace, it would be called something different. Uh, grace is something that we get that we do not deserve. If our salvation was based on us and what we did, it would not be called grace. It would say, you've earned this. And we would see that throughout the Bible. Congratulations on your salvation. You have earned this. But instead, we see it's by grace, by grace. You actually earn death. You actually earn punishment, but by grace you have been saved. Uh, Romans 9 uh, verse 16 simply says this, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Again, he gets the credit. It is by mercy, by his grace, that we are rescued, that we indeed are saved. Let me finish with this last passage here, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, this, this, is, this passage uh, also is, is just so comforting. The assurance that we have, all right, that even before the foundation of the earth, uh, God has chosen us in Him for salvation in Jesus Christ. But then even actively, even our lives, look at this, for we are His workmanship. All right, Christ brought us back from the dead. He has made us His. We are His children. He has made us spiritually alive. He has done that work. We didn't do that. So we are His workmanship. He, we are created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand. This is a beautiful passage to rest in as we even go through life. That God has not just saved us just so that we go to heaven, but in this process in between salvation and glorification that God has prepared our lives for these works that we have. He's put them there for us. He's prepared them in advance. So not only does He preserve our salvation, but He also has, has put our works in place that we are going to accomplish in life. What this means is that when you look for purpose and you look for the reason in your life, God has.